Hello everyone, I wish you a very warm welcome back to our podcast. I am Rika and this is a podcast of Promote Ukraine. In case you haven't noticed yet, this series is called Ukraine Up to Date and we bring out this podcast every week where we put together the most interesting, relevant and important topics and events about Ukraine and talk a little bit about it. So in case you want to stay on top of things that are happening in and around Ukraine, don't worry, we keep you up to date. And without further ado, let's start with this week's hot topics. So today is Valentine's Day, the day of love, <laughs> but I can say that there are definitely no warm feelings or a warm relationship right now between the European Union and Russia, which became especially clear during the visit of Joseph Perel in Russia. Because uh, on the 9th of February, EU High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy, Joseph Borrell, shared his findings with the European Parliament after his three-day visit to Moscow. The head of European diplomacy was harshly criticized for both the very idea of going to Russia amid the persecution of Alexei Navalny by local authorities and the oppression of protesters, and for his unconvincing behavior during his visit to the country, when he allowed himself to be openly ridiculed. But Borrell's conclusions seem to have been worth it. In his opinion, Russia did not live up to the expectations associated with it in the 1990s and never became a modern democracy. Since 2014, after the annexation of Crimea, the political dialogue between Russia and the EU has stalled and Borrell, in his own words, I quote, wanted to understand whether the Russian government is interested in preventing the deterioration of our relationship and wants to take the opportunity to establish a dialogue. The answer was clear, no, it is not interested. Earlier in his own official blog, Borrell wrote, I quote, my meeting with Minister Lavrov and the signals of the Russian authorities during the visit confirmed that Europe and Russia are drifting in opposite directions. It seems that Russia is increasingly separating itself from Europe and sees democratic values as an existential threat. It may not have been necessary to travel to Russia to draw such conclusions, but uh, one's own experience is the most convincing argument. Borrell will always remember the humiliation he experienced on Russian land. The European Commissioner for Foreign Affairs visit in Moscow is indeed a very rare event. Borrell's uh, predecessor, Federica Mogherini, traveled to Russia during her tenure only once since October, uh, November 2014, namely in uh, April of 2017. And although the context of European colleagues with Sergei Lavrov, the permanent foreign minister of the Russian Federation, take place constantly by phone or abroad, a home meeting is a form of contact of the highest depth and intensity. Three years ago, Lavrov did not allow himself to openly show disrespect for his guests and in the person of Borrell, the Russian minister publicly accused the EU of deteriorating relations with Russia, calling the organization an, I quote, unreliable partner. The culmination of the insult was the expulsion of three European diplomats, a German, a Pole and a Swede, during the European commissioner's stay in Moscow. Lavrov's efforts were uh, complimented by Russian journalists at a press conference who simply ridiculed the stranger. It seemed that relations with Europe could not become worse, but the Russian leaders managed to do even that. 
the head of European diplomacy did not like the role of a whipping boy. A meeting at uh, the EU's Foreign Affairs Council is to take place on the 22nd of February and the summit of EU heads of state and government will be held um, on the 25th and 26th of March. Borrell promised, I quote, at these meetings, decisions will be made on further steps. It would be right to include sanctions. I will make concrete proposals using my own right of initiative as High Representative for Foreign Affairs and Security Policy. Brussels does not intend to severe relations with Russia. A certain dialogue will be maintained as well as the support for Russian civil society, but now the issue of new sanctions, which the current leadership is literally asking for, is urgent. The Brussels democracy may be slow, but if its movement is gaining momentum, it will be absolutely impossible to stop or weaken the process. It also should be mentioned that the new American administration is set to act tough uh, in the Russian direction. In a foreign policy speech at the Department of State on the 4th of February, President Biden bluntly stated, I quote, we will not hesitate to raise the cost on Russia for its aggressive policy. Uh, together with Washington's intention to restore and strengthen allied relations with Europe, abandoned under Donald Trump, this will mark the beginning of a new period of containment of Russia by the West, when there are no illusions left, the desire to understand Putin and communicate with him has disappeared, and the task is to help the current Russian leadership isolate itself from the outside world by blocking the Kremlin's effort to affect European processes and beyond. Joseph Borrell is now a staunch supporter of this approach. So it was worth going to Moscow. The National Electronic Mass Media Council of Latvia banned the broadcasting of the Russia RTR TV channel in the country for a whole year. Chairman of the board, Ivars um, Abolint, said the decision will come into force on the 15th of February. He also said, I quote, we have protected and will continue protecting our information space. In the summer of 2020, the Latvian National Council revealed incitement to hatred in the 60 Minutes program on the Russian TV channel. In particular, the participants of the program and its host, Olga Skabeva, called Ukraine a terrorist state and its former president, Pietro Poroshenko, a terrorist. During the, yeah, sort of discussion, I would call it, the host suggested sending in Russian troops to Ukraine to calm both parties to the conflict. And as a reminder, on the 1st of February, Latvia's uh, TED telecommunications company decided to stop rebroadcasting of five Russian TV channels on the territory of the Republic, namely the First Baltic Channel, NTV Mir, REN TV Baltia, Kinokomedia and Kinomix. The Cabinet of Ministers has banned registration in Ukraine of vaccines and other drugs for the prevention of coronavirus that were developed and manufactured in the Russian Federation. The relevant decree has already been signed by Prime Minister Denis Mihal. This is stated in the resolution of the Cabinet of Ministers of the 8th of February 2021, according to the government portal. The government decree says, and I quote, 
registration of vaccines or other immunobiological drugs for the specific prevention of acute respiratory disease COVID-19 caused by coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 uh, under obligation of emergency medical use, the development and or production of which was carried out in a state recognized by the Verkhovna Rada as the aggressor state is prohibited. The document also notes that the supply and testing of vaccines from other manufacturers are regulated by agreements signed by Ukraine under the COVAX facility. In addition, specialists of the State Expert Center of the Ministry of Health will evaluate the benefits of vaccines and check the materials for their veracity during state registration in Ukraine. As a reminder, a Russian-made COVID-19 vaccine, Sputnik V, began to be for forcibly tested on state employees in the occupied Crimea. Employees of state-financed institutions are openly threatened with dismissal for refusing to be vaccinated with Sputnik. In addition, the Russians want to bring this dubious drug to the Russian-controlled areas of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. When Vladimir Putin announced the creation of the world's first vaccine against COVID-19 and that he had tested it on his daughter, the international community was skeptical of the news. In particular, Kellyanne Conway, an advisor to former U.S. President Donald Trump, told Fox News that the Russian vaccine has, had not passed all the necessary tests. Conway said, I quote, the United States has six potential vaccines in the third stage of development, and they do not seem to have even reached that stage. The United States and Russia have different standards for vaccine development. In particular, they are stricter in the United States. In turn, medical experts from Germany also expressed doubts about the Russian vaccine against COVID-19. For example, a spokesman of the uh, German Federal Ministry of Health said that nothing was known about the quality, efficacy and safety of the Russian vaccine. He said, I quote, a positive balance of benefits and risk for a vaccine must be demonstrated before it can be used on a larger scale. The leader of Germany's Christian Democratic Union, or in short, the CDU, Armin Laschet, who replaced incumbent Chancellor Angela Merkel, supported the idea of enlarging the EU and giving Ukraine a European prospect. In his first interview since his election as the new party leader, the politician made several statements about increasing support for Ukraine. In particular, he considers it expedient to maintain the sanctions regime against the Russian Federation and promote the rapprochements of Kiev and Brussels. Laschet said, I quote, We have a great interest in the stability, sovereignty and modernization of Ukraine, so we must support Ukraine on its difficult path and open up a European prospect for it. In a conversation with journalists, the CDU leader categorically denied rumors about his pro-Russian position and asked not to label. In confirmation of this position, he noted that he criticized the Russian Federation for the occupation of Crimea, the armed forces in eastern Ukraine, for the poisoning and imprisonment of Alexei Navalny, and also directly stated his support for EU sanctions against Russia since uh, Germany and the EU cannot accept the violation of borders and the use of force against other states in Europe. At the same time, the politician spoke in favor of uh, completing the construction of Nord Stream 2, which she considers an economic project, 
although he added that Ukraine's uh, geopolitical interests must be taken into account in this matter. According to Ukraine's ambassador to Germany, Andriy Milnik, Laschet's statement is the first extremely encouraging news because so far none of the influential members of the CDU, let alone party leaders, have so openly used the term European prospect in relation to Ukraine. As a reminder again, the election of the new CDU leader took place in January this year. The Congress participants supported the candidacy of the 59-year-old Minister-President of the state of Nordrhein-Westfalen, Armin Laschet. He is now one of the most likely candidates for the Chancellor post from the conservative CDU-CSU bloc in the September elections in the Bundestag. Ukraine has made some progress in reforming the country, but widespread corruption continues to hamper this process. This is what Vice President of the European Commission, Valdis Dombrovskis, said during the discussion of the interim report on Ukraine's implementation of the association agreement with the EU. He recalled that the European Union is providing Ukraine with a new microfinancial assistance program worth 1.2 billion euros to help mitigate the economic impact of the pandemic, and half of this sum was distributed in early December last year. Dombrovskis said, I quote, the fight against corruption is a key condition for the EU's macrofinancial support. According to him, it is vital for a strong Ukraine that the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine be fully independent. Over the years, the bureau has demonstrated its effectiveness and produced tangible results. Dombrovskis also believes that a comprehensive judiciary reform is long overdue in Ukraine. The vice president of the European Commission said, I quote, the Venice Commission and G7's roadmap complementing the EU delegation's constant advice to authorities and politicians gives clear guidance on what has to be done. The EU is ready to support Ukraine in doing this. He noted that only criminals and oligarchs will benefit from the lack of change in the state and widespread corruption. Therefore, all Ukrainian reform-oriented political factions must come together and give a clear signal of Ukraine's determination to make its reform path irreversible. At least 3.4 million people in eastern Ukraine are in need of sustained humanitarian assistance due to the war. More than half of those in need are women and 40% are elderly. Um, this is what the Undersecretary General of the United Nations for Political Affairs, Rosemary Di Carlo, said during a meeting of the United Nations Security Council on the situation in the Donbass. Di Carlo called on the parties to help lift undue restrictions on freedom of movement across the contact line and secure the opening of additional exit and entry crossing points. The uh, UN official said, in recent weeks, without progress on the related security and political tracks, the overall situation in eastern Ukraine remains fragile. Um, yeah, this is what the UN official said, adding that the organization stands with the people of Ukraine in their search for sustainable peace. In general, the Kremlin again tried to use the Security Council meeting, which took place on the 11th of February via video conference, as a platform for voicing its narratives and spreading fakes about Russia's war against Ukraine. In particular, Russia's permanent representative to the UN, Vasily Nebezna, stated that, quote, Ukraine has occupied Ukraine and is waging war on its own territory.
Mm-hmm. He also reiterated that Russia does not consider itself a party to the Minsk agreements. Meanwhile, Germany's permanent representative to the United Nations, uh, Christoph Heusgen, recalled the Kremlin's lies about the tragedy of Flight MH17, about the fact that the town of Dybalseve was captured after the signing of the agreements. Russia did not withdraw heavy weapons. 94% of all incidents of the OSCE axis in the east were blocked by occupiers. Moscow issues Russian passports in Donbass, and it violated the Budapest Memorandum. To quote what the German ambassador said to the Russian envoy, instead of trying to give legitimacy to puppets, you need to focus on doing your job. It would be better if you finally open Zolotin and Shastya entry-exit crossing points rather than telling fantastic stories here. In response, Nibesnia called Germany and France, I quote again, accomplices in Kiev's crimes against the population of Denbaz, and he also said that no one has presented evidence of the severe Russian aggression in Denbaz. At the same time, Rodney Hunter, a political coordinator of the U.S. mission to the United Nations, said that Russia has stepped up its efforts to destabilize Ukraine and undermine Ukraine's sovereignty over the past year. Sanctions on Russia in response to its aggression in eastern Ukraine and occupation of Crimea will remain in place unless and until Russia reverses course. A joint statement by Estonia, France, Ireland, Belgium, Germany, Norway and the UK said the countries were yeah, concerned about the increase in ceasefire violations since November. They called on Russia to immediately stop fueling the conflict and provide financial and military support to the militants. During a speech at the Security Council meeting, the head of the Ukrainian delegation to the Trilateral Contact Group, Leonid Kravchuk, stated that the Kremlin had not made a decision to end the war in Donbass. To uh, quote Kravchuk, the aggression continues. People are dying. The suffering of civilians is intensifying. In January, February 2021, the number of ceasefire violations by Russian illegal armed formations increased significantly, leading to new combat losses among uh, Ukrainian service persons. I must say that today no one is misled by Russia's attempts to convince the international community that there are no Russian troops, weapons or mercenaries in Ukraine. In fact, the Russian Federation has turned some districts of Donetsk and Luhansk regions, as well as Crimea, into its large military outpost. He noted that Ukraine is taking practical steps to resolve the conflict, but at the same time, it is forced to constantly deal with the opposition of the Russian Federation in the negotiation process. The Office of the President of Ukraine states that the issues related to threats to the national security of the state require tough decisions. That is why President Vladimir Zelensky instructed to begin preparations for a meeting of the National Security and Defense Council, or short, the NSDC. According to the President's office, the meeting is scheduled for Friday, the 19th of February, but some issues will be considered behind closed doors. The statement reads, Threats to the national security of the state, which must be eliminated, require binding tough decisions within the framework set by the Constitution of Ukraine and current legislation. 
The president's office noted that society must see the state, which knows exactly the current risks and is able to respond to them professionally and quickly. The statement also says, Unfortunately, in the period up to 2019, Ukrainians clearly saw that the necessary decisions to protect the national security, which are long overdue, were postponed for political reasons. The lack of sufficient political will at that time laid many delayed action minds under the foundation of our statehood, which today need systemic counteraction. At the same time, it is emphasized that an unconditional priority for Zelensky is to fulfill the constitutional duty of the president to guarantee the national security of the state. The report notes, Decision made as a result of the collegial work of the National Security and Defense Council fully meet the interests of Ukraine at this stage of development of our state. According to unconfirmed information, the NSDC may consider the issue of responding to the actions of the Russian Federation, which announced the expansion of the list of Ukrainian companies against which economic sanctions had been imposed in Russia. Currently, the new version of the list includes 84 companies, three entities and two subsidiaries of, uh, from Odessa, two companies from Dipro, as well as legal entities registered in Poltava and Panama, have been added to the list. So that was it with this week's podcast. Make sure to share your thoughts with us and we would be very happy to hear your feedback so that we can keep improving this podcast for you. And if you want to have more information on Ukraine-EU-Russia relations and read other articles as well, you can visit promoteukraine.org. And also, if you haven't done so yet, follow us on our social media. So on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and so on. You can find us everywhere under the name Promote Ukraine. But for now, I wish you a wonderful start into the week. And I'll see you next week with some fresh and new information.